Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Well, today we are starting a new message series. We had just finished a long uh, message series called Creed, where we went through uh, 10 weeks of different beliefs that we have as Christians and really explore where they came from and what, why we believe them, what we believe about our faith and what it, why it matters. And I believe that's been a really foundational message that will serve us for the rest of our year, but even more than that into uh, as, our, as our faith as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, moving through our years to come. We can always go back to that and revisit and, and ask continual questions that will help strengthen us. But today we are uh, going to take it a step further. I really believe that the last several weeks have been a foundation for us. It's important for us to know what we believe because then we can then only can take actions and begin to shape our lives around it, to orient ourselves. That's really what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To be a disciple of Christ is to know what we believe about Jesus, what he has said to us. As we kind of said last week, being a disciple means loving and obeying Jesus, loving him and obeying him. And so there's a lot that was written about Jesus. There was a lot of that was written in the New Testament that what we see, you know, the, the gospels, all right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are really setting the stage for what it means to be uh, who Jesus was, like the kind of person he was and who he's calling us to be. But then years later, the apostle Paul and, and uh, Peter and John, these guys and uh, wrote letters to the church that was forming years later, many years later in some instances, teaching churches and Christians what it meant to live out their faith as disciples every day. And so it's, it's one thing to know what you believe. It's a whole other thing to begin to practice it. And so what we have done now, I mean, here we are now in April, right? Near the end of April, <clears throat> and we began our year pushing into uh, this concept of learning what it means to be a Christian and what we believe. And we started off the year even talking about things like resolutions and, and, and making a decision to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Well, now here we are, we've passed the first quarter of the year. And for some of us, maybe even many of us, we have maybe looking at ourselves, if we were to take an inventory over you know, kind of where we are. Are we where we wanted to be? Are we where we imagined we would be here now four months into the year? If you would have, if you would have, uh, if you'd look back in January and the, the the hopes that we had for, for this year, now I'm not talking like situationally necessarily, but I mean like our habits. I mean, maybe commitments that we have made, you know, in the beginning of the year, perhaps we made a commitment that we wanted to uh, read God's word more. Or that maybe we wanted to spend more time in, in prayer. Or perhaps it was more practically, like we wanted to get a hold of our finances a little bit. Um, we wanted to pay off some debt. Um, maybe we were looking to really push into, uh, dig into our marriage or a relationship with a significant other to make it strong and healthier. Um, maybe we want to lose weight, right? Any of these things that in the early part of the year, we said we, we want these, we're going to start making changes. Um, and we had a goal, right? And we maybe even started off strong, but now here we are a few months into the year and it perhaps has faded um, in the days, in the weeks, in the month. I want to tell you that if that's you, you know, um, you're not alone. 
I, uh, I started reading a book in two books in January after Christmas. I had gotten a couple books for Christmas that I wanted to read and I got about halfway through two of these books. One was a fiction book and the other was a, uh, was a nonfiction book, more of a, a sharpening kind of training sort of thing that I've been reading. Um, and I had not finished either of those books and have subsequently started another book <laughs> in its place. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but there have been other things like um, I had really wanted to get back on the on the wagon when it comes to, uh, you know, my weight, my weight management. You know, I'd done a really good job all throughout last year. And then between Thanksgiving and New Year's really let that go and had gained almost 10 pounds back of the 40 that I had lost. And while it wasn't, you know, a complete relapse back into a lot of habits that I had had written and had, uh, had put into my life had been unwritten. And I'll be honest and say that I have not fully gotten myself back into that routine. And there are a number of areas. If you were to think about that yourself, perhaps you find yourself in a similar situation. And what I want to do in this message series um, that we're calling Greater Reward is this idea that there is something waiting for us in our lives. And it's not just weight loss and it's not just um, a better marriage. I think God wants all of those things for us because God, as his children, wants us to be whole people. I mean, if you look back into the Garden of Eden, if you look back into uh, even into Revelation and what's coming, there is an idea that it is not simply spiritual. There is a connection. Our body is the temple of God. We know that. And therefore, there's a lot of scripture about taking care of our bodies. Now, it doesn't so much say be weight loss programs, right? But we know that taking care of our bodies means being healthy. We know that the relationships with each other being healthy honors God. And so to be a, a child of God that is living a holistic, healthy, spiritual life means that it intersects with our personal life in our interpersonal relationships and in our relationship with God. There is more waiting for us. And so this message series is called Greater Reward, but it's also the concept of how do we get there when we constantly find ourselves not being able to overcome the things that we struggle with on a regular basis. Maybe some of you have been struggling with your weight your entire life. Maybe you have struggled or you're constantly going back to living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you continually find yourself in unhealthy romantic relationships. What is it that I just can't do the things that I know are good? Why do I constantly go back to these things? Why is it that I, no matter how hard I try, how frustrated I get, no matter, and how shameful and guilty I feel about some of the things that I do in my life, I can't seem to shake them. I can't be the only person who ever feels this way. And that's what this series is about. How can we go attain the greater reward that God has for us, acknowledging the struggles that we have? And so this week is called Help, I'm Out of Control. <laughs> Help, I am out of control because I think it, it's important for us to recognize that first. And the good news is, is that we are not alone. And actually, we have an example in scripture from someone that we wouldn't even probably consider uh, that we would never think on the surface would struggle. But the Apostle Paul was a man who had 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 seen the risen Christ. He actually had a, a moment with, with Jesus on a road to Damascus where he had a vision, an encounter with Jesus, like physically in person with Jesus in this, in this sort of supernatural moment, and it shaked his life. This guy you would not think would struggle with, with sin. But I want to take you 
to uh, Romans chapter 7. If you guys would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to see a really unique picture in Scripture, because oftentimes we see the apostles, and they write these letters, these epistles. Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. I don't even know that. Like, he wrote a third of the entirety of the New Testament. He is lifted up as being, like, an incredible theologian, a man who every time he writes, it seems like he has his act together. But there are a few passages of scripture that we really see an insight into the into the everyday like struggle of what it means to be a Christian, an everyday human being, and struggle. Romans chapter seven, verse fifteen. We see Paul saying this. He says, "I don't really understand myself," and I want you to put yourself into this place, right? Romans chapter seven, verse fifteen. This is the New Living Translation here. NLT. I don't really understand myself. I can't figure it out for I want to do what's right. I mean, all of us as Christians, right? We want to do the right thing. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? It's like I, if, at its baseline, doing the right thing. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the things that I hate. Skip down to verse 18. I want to do what is right, but I can't. He's like, he's acknowledging it here. He's like saying, I want, I see it. It's right there for the taking. And there's the thing over here that I, that I really don't want to do. I, I hate it when I do that. I find myself, despite my control, despite my best efforts, ra- grabbing the thing that I don't want. I, I want to do what's right, but I can't. Verse 19, I want to do what is good. I recognize that the things that are good are healthy and wholesome, and they'll make me feel better, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Then verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Have you ever felt like that about yourself? God, I hate myself. I'm a miserable person. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who is going to free me from this? This title of today's message is Help. I'm out of control. There is just so much that we get into. You know, we start with good intentions, the things that we want to say goodbye to, the chains that are holding on to us that we, as Christians even, we like to think that, people like to think that as Christians, we don't have problems. As pastors, people think that your pastor doesn't struggle and and, and has it all together. And and it's just not true. And and that's not even the aim of the Bible. The Bible does not teach that. And so what we're going to do in this series is really figure out how can we overcome those things and get the greater reward that God has for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that this morning you would uh, open our eyes to see the truth of what your word says. Let us be honest with ourselves, honest with each other, and honest with you, and we invite your spirit to speak to us, to shine a light on truth this morning, and let it pierce us this morning, like that like that double-edged sword, let it pierce into the, the root, pierce into the, the ligaments and the sinews of our spirit. And, and that you would tell us and show us what is truth and what to do with it. In your name we pray. Amen. What I believe that the answer, the answer to the question that Paul is asking and the answer to that question that we're all asking, and it sounds obvious, but the answer is discipline. The concept of discipline. And discipline gets a bad, a bad rap, right? Because no one likes the idea of discipline. We either think of it from the perspective of disciplining a child, or we think of it like, like um, I can't do the things that I want to do. 
But discipline really is the key to all of this. And we're going to learn a little bit more here. But I want to start with this phrase, this concept here that's going to really guide us throughout the entire series. And this is where the idea of greater reward comes from, okay? If you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what I want now. I think that most of us have similar goals in life. Like if you were to say, I want, what do you want in life? Most people have similar goals and desires and hopes and dreams for, for things in life. And yet we all have different outcomes and different results for each of them, right? Everybody wants to have a good marriage. When they get married one day, if their desire is to get married, Everybody wants a good marriage. Nobody goes into their marriage saying, uh, I want to be divorced four times, right? Nobody has that goal in life. Everybody wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to feel good. When you look at the person in the movie who's got the strong arms and the healthy body, you know, and uh, like everybody's like, that's great. I'd like that. Nobody, on the other hand, says, I, my goal is to be out of shape. My goal is to be winded after I walk up a single flight of stairs. There's always that joke of uh, Kevin James and his comedy where he says, like, he's all sweating and out of breath. He's like, did you work out? He says, no, I peeled an orange about an hour ago. <laughs> like, nobody's goal is to be winded and to be out of shape, you know? Like, when you, that's not the goal. We all have a goal of being, of having a strong financial position, right? We, that we have the money to spend on the things that we know are, that matter. We'd like to be uh, financially secure. We'd like to be generous. Like we, when we see a need, we would like to be the people. That's our goal is to be the people who, who have a healthy financial position. Nobody goes in with a goal of saying, I love living paycheck to paycheck. I want to have to fight and scratch and fight with my spouse every week over not being able to do the things that I want to do, or that I, you know, I hope that I'm bankrupt in three years. That's not a goal for anyone. We all start with the same goals, similar goals, and yet there is a disparity between some people seem to have healthy marriages, strong financial positions, great relationships with their spouses or with their significant others, or raising their children or, or have successful career, whatever. And yet there are others who fail in these spaces. And here's why. It's because our desires are not what determine our outcomes. The desire does not determine who you become. It's not enough to simply want something, right? It's discipline that determines who you become. It's discipline that determines it. It's not our desire. It's our discipline. And this, it's not about our hope. It's about our habits, right? It's about the way that we design our life. And so the answer to this question here for us is to become more disciplined people, more disciplined people. We have to develop better habits. And here's the problem though, is this is where you start every January, right? We have this kind of cliche of doing, of doing uh, the new year's resolutions. And we say, okay, I'm going to be more disciplined. So if your question is, is, well, if the answer is to be more disciplined, then how come I become more disciplined, I design better habits, and then I still fail? All right, Pastor Jared, why is it that I, I get myself on a healthy eating plan, I build better habits into my life, and then I still fail? Why is it that I decide I'm going to start paying my bills on time, I'm going to start creating a budget, and I start getting more disciplined, and yet I still find myself in the financial position that I am? And the reason is, is because willpower doesn't work. 
Willpower does not work. What do I mean by that? If you've ever gone to an office or to like a place where maybe you have, this happens in the office all the time and somebody brings in a box of donuts, right? Have you ever found yourself looking at those box of donuts and saying, no, I don't want to eat those. I'm not going to eat them, right? And you pass by the donuts. And the first time you pass by the donuts, you're kind of looking at them and you're like, get away from me. You smell gross. You go to your office and you sit down, you do your work. And then you come back out. And the next time you pass by, you kind of look at them. But now you're just a little bit closer to the box of donuts. And maybe you smell them a little bit, right? And then the next time you come back, you get real close. You're like, what if I just just open the box and just kind of look at them a little bit. I know you guys, I'm looking at every one of you guys here. You know what I'm talking about. We're in the refrigerator or at the grocery store, right? And then you like, and then the next time you come back by, you're like, all right, I'll just half, just half of a donut is just half, right? And you just kind of take a little bite of it. Mm, man, that's so good. But at least I didn't eat the whole thing. And then by the end of the day, you've eaten like three donuts, <laughs> right? This is, this is office life. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about willpower. The concept of willpower does not work is because we start off strong, but it fades over time, right? As Christians, we're supposed to be good people. We're supposed to do good things, not bad things, right? We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to be nice to people. We're supposed to serve other people. We're supposed to be generous. We're not supposed to lie or cheat or steal or yell at people at the store. This is not what we're supposed to do. The problem is, is that we try to be good people right? We try. And then what happens is that our sinful desires overwhelm our waning willpower and we end up giving in. This is the pattern that we live in over and over and over again. And that could be anything. I took the donut or I smoked that thing or I touched that thing or I clicked on it or I bought it or I ate the whole thing. Any number of things you start off strong and willpower over time wanes until we are unable to deal with it. And have you ever noticed the cycle that goes in, in your, in your mind when you're struggling with a temptation with something that you, that you, that you know, isn't good for you, whether it's sinfully wrong, or you know, it's not healthy for you, or it's going to lead you to a place that is not good. Have you ever noticed in the beginning of that cycle, you've got this voice in your head. It's like, it's not that bad. It's not a big deal. Like I, I know this, you know, the things that I have struggled with the most when I am right on the edge, that smell, it could be anything. It could be a donut or it could be pornography, like the scent of it getting into my nostrils, into my mind, wrapping its mind, like wrapping its tentacles around me internally is going, it's not that big of a deal. Like you make such a big deal out of this. Like it's not that bad. But then after you're done, specifically with the thing that you have struggled with and you know you struggle with, you feel guilty and you feel like you're horrible. And then the same voice that was telling you a minute ago that it's fine, it's not a big deal is now chastising you and is beating you down and is like crushing you that you're worthless. You can't do anything you put your mind to. Does anybody else ever struggle with this? I have dealt with this all of my life. And the good news is, is that we're not alone in it. Look at verse 24 in Romans 7. Paul continues after he said, I don't understand myself. What a miserable person. He says, oh, what a miserable miserable person I am. He recognizes the feeling. He's remembering. I imagine that when he was writing this, he was remembering all the things. He's like, I feel like such a hypocrite. What a miserable person I am. And so there's this thing that we call the cycle of shame. 
And I want you to imagine like a circle with the arrows leading from one item to the next, right? The circle of shame. What happens is, is that I fail. And so I start to feel like I'm, I'm bad. I'm this bad person, right? But now I want to try hard. So January rolls around or after the thing happens and you think, all right, I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to get back on the wagon. I'm going to make sure that I do the right thing this time. So I try really, really, really hard. And so I put all my willpower into making sure that I don't do the thing that I, that I don't want to do anymore. But then willpower weakens over time, which leads to inevitable failure. And so then I give in to that thing and I have that inevitable failure, which then leads to guilt and to shame. And I feel dirty and I feel icky and I feel weak, which then makes me feel like I'm a bad person because I can't, I can't get a hold of this thing. I can't fix it. I can't, no matter what I do, no matter who I talk to, no matter how hard I pray, I can't seem to get past this thing. So now I feel like I'm a bad person, which then leads me back to trying hard and inevitable failure because of willpower weakness. You see, it's the cycle of shame. I have lived this life, this cycle for a really long time. And the problem is, is that something isn't working. Something is missing. And the issue is not, is not that we aren't bad people. It's not that, that we're bad people. It's that we're doing the wrong things. Willpower will never be enough. What is the answer for it? And it sounds like a cliche, but we're going to work through the rest of this message to see why it's not. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. Paul says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me? What is the answer? I have done everything I possibly can. And he says, here's the answer. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, here's the thing. The first thought is, is you're thinking, wait a minute, this is, this just sounds like behavior modification. This sounds like mind over matter. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm talking about is a spiritual transformation. And like so much in our faith, there is a fine line, a razor's edge line that, that sounds like it's a behavior modification or mind over matter and spiritual transformation. And I can tell you that it is true in my life. And so as, as often as I can throughout this next section, I'm going to try to attach it to examples from my own life. Paul discovered that no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much he understood, no matter how much he knew, no matter what habits he put into place, and no matter what he did, his sinful nature inside of him was always stronger, that the willpower to do the right thing was never enough. And he discovered the secret that the only answer to the question of who will free me from this miserable body of death, this, this, this body that's dominated by sin, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus Christ. And then he tells us how. But you have to start somewhere. And we have to start by recognizing that we belong to Jesus. It's very important to recognize who we are. Because if we are a body that is dominated by sin and death, we have forgotten the identity that we have in Christ. Identity is where it all is. Because the cycle of shame says, I'm a bad person. And so I'm starting from a place of where I'm trying to operate out of what doesn't already have enough. I don't have the tools. There is no tool in the toolbox of the cycle of shame that makes us strong enough to be able to overcome or chip away at the thing that we fail at. But our identity is not that we are bad. Our identity is that we are new in Christ. 
Our identity is not that we are a miserable person. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We have been set free. We're a new creation. We're not just a better version of ourselves. The Bible does not say that we are, that, that I'm the old Jared, that I'm now just Jared 2.0. It says I'm new. I am a completely different creation, creation, a different identity. What I was is dead. It is gone. And I am now something completely new. I belong to Jesus. I am not a slave to my sin desires, as the Bible says. I am filled with a spirit that gives me strength. The spirit of God is what empowers us to choose what I want most over what I want now. Now that sounds like in your mind, you might be like, okay, I don't understand. How is that any different? Because you have to learn to tap into the spirit of God. It is not something that is contained within my being. I cannot will myself to stop looking at pornography. I cannot stop, I cannot will myself to be a, a generous person or a, a strong budgeting individual. Like if that's an area I struggle with, some of you might be able to, it's not an issue. We're talking about the spaces that you struggle with. There is no amount of ability in within you to overcome that yourself. The spirit of God is what overcomes it. Now look at this. Look at, as we continue here, Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five, verse 16, Paul takes it further. So he says, the answer is in Jesus Christ. And then he says, so I say, walk by the spirit. He's not saying use your willpower. He's not saying go out and buy a bunch of self-help books. He's not even saying go talk to your friends about it and, and help them accountability support you. He's saying, so I say, walk by the spirit and what will happen? Promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, this is an if-then statement. If you walk by the spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, if you want to overcome the battles that you face, if you want to be victorious, we sang a song this morning, right? Your name is victory. What did Paul just say in Romans 7? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. So I say, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so it's the in-between here that we don't know how to do. How does it, how do I walk by the spirit. What does that mean to walk by the spirit? Because I want the not gratifying the flesh. Well, the word here for flesh is the Greek word for, is called sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx. And it's not talking about your skin, right? It's not talking about this. And the word is actually used 147 times in the New Testament, right? It's talking about like when it says flesh, it's talking about like your being, this, the fallen being, the sinful being, so when it says don't gratify the flesh, it's talking about don't give in to the sinful nature. Don't allow it to be your identity. Don't allow your flesh, your, your, your sinful being to control you. And Paul said in Philippians 3 that we don't have any confidence. We should not put any confidence in our flesh. That's willpower, right? Willpower is the output of the flesh, of the sarks right? We don't have any confidence in willpower. And if any of you in this gathering today, look back over your life on the areas that you have struggled with the most, do you still have confidence in your willpower? I don't. There has been no ability for me in my entire 40 years of life to be able to will myself past the thing that I want now, the thing that, that, is, that, that is eroding away at my, at my, at my goodness, God has called me to be. But the word for walk, 
is the Greek word perpeteo. It means a continuous, regular action, a habitual way of life. So what it's saying here is, so Paul said in Galatians 5.16, so I say walk by the Spirit, right? The word here is perpeteo, walk by the Spirit constantly, continuously regular action, habitual way of life. So it's like saying this concept of like, it's not just the when I'm struggling, go to God, because you won't be ready. It's too late at that point. Have you ever heard someone say like, like Christian, like a Christian phrase of people will say things like, I'm just going to take a step of faith, right? It's a pretty common phrase, right? I'm going to take a step of faith, right? This idea of like, and it usually comes up with in a specific moment, when there is a big decision to be made and I'm not sure what to do, so I'm going to take a step of faith. That's the idea of it, right? But what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 is we should be taking steps of faith like constantly. That's what we should be doing, like taking a step of faith and then another and then another and then another. Not as a special circumstance, but the perpeteo, the consistent way of living, a habitual way of living. So what Paul is saying here is, is like, not that when you struggle, when the, when the moment when you're alone and you're, and you have the opportunity to eat that donut or, or to click on that link or to, to, to spend, uh, you know, the money on that item, when you know that it's supposed to go into savings or to pay off a debt, like not then should I take the step of faith. It's that every single moment when I wake up, I'm taking a step of faith as I walk to work. And as I'm on the bus, and as I'm making my decisions, I'm constantly thinking about what God is saying to me. I'm listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I'm knowing him. I'm reading his word. I'm allowing it to read me. The, what it means to walk by faith, to walk in the spirit, means that on every moment of my life, I'm in relationship with Jesus. That's way different than mind over matter. That's way different than behavior modification. That's not building habits into my life that are healthy. That's saying I'm a new creation and I allow the spirit of God to constantly check me, to constantly guide me, to constantly fill my mind, to renew, to overwrite the code of my sinful nature in my mind. It's so different that taking a step of faith, walking with the spirit is a secession of steps. And then that becomes the habit. That becomes the habit. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the greater reward. When I can learn to begin to think in every circumstance about how God is influencing that space in my life, I begin to orient every little minute decision. Everything is oriented around the rhythm of what it means to walk in unison with Christ. And when I do that, we all believe that if I follow the principles of God's kingdom, that I will be blessed, that I will have favor, that things will go better for me, that I'll, that I'll be moving in the direction that God has for me. We all believe that, but we want to like get there when I choose it once. What it means to truly walk by the spirit means the discipline of making the decision to keep God in my mind, to allow his spirit to influence my actions every moment, Success, successive step after step after step. That begins to shape it. That begins to shape it. And this is, this is like, how Heather and I turned our finances around for years, all right? And whether whatever you believe theologically about the concept of tithing, all right? This is not 
this is what I'm about to say to you is not the specifics around whether or not you should be giving a 10% or not. But I want you to understand that for years, I was raised in that environment. That was, that was the expectation. And for years as a Christian, for years as a youth pastor, I didn't do it. We gave little bits here or there. And I was always under the excuse of I don't have enough money or it was just selfishly that I spent all my money on whatever I wanted. And by the time I got to church, I didn't have any left over. Okay. So one way or the other, it still didn't happen. Right. And then one day, I don't know how it happened. I was at a service um, where a pastor was preaching about giving and it wasn't about the demands of giving. It was about the heart behind it. And in that day, God did a work in my heart to where something happened and I began to see things differently. There was a transformation in my heart that took place to where I began to understand, I want God to be first. I want him to be honored by how I spend my money. I don't want to be stuck in the cycle of debt anymore and my credit rating being through the in the toilet and then and then constantly I'm hiring interest rates and then higher payments and then I can't afford them and then they get lapsed and then they get repoed and then I have even worse credit. You see what I'm saying? Like that was the direction I was going in. But it wasn't like overnight all of a sudden I bought this house and I've got a nice car and I have you know room in my budget and I get to go on trips. That's not how it works. What happened was something happened in my heart where I, I heard the word of God and I heard God speaking to me in my spirit that said, Jared, I have something better for you. I have a greater reward for you if you would just begin to walk these steps with me. And so Heather and I sat down and we said, what are we going to do? And so we're just going to start somewhere, right? And that's what it's, it's so like, so, so this concept of like running, you don't just start running, you got to start walking. So whatever it is in your life, wherever you are in your life, don't, don't try to compare yourself to me. Don't try to compare yourself to a Dave Ramsey who does all kind of financial guru stuff. Don't compare yourself to an apostle. Just, just say, Jesus, I'm trying to follow you. I want to walk by your spirit. What are you telling me? What are you saying to me today? And just start small. Begin to wake up every morning and say, okay, Jesus, what, what are we doing today? What's the first step today? If it starts with reading one Bible verse in the morning and just pausing enough to read the verse. And what does this mean to me today? Just what can I do today to live this out and then take it to work? How can I apply this at work today? How can I apply this in my marriage today? How can I apply this in the way that I spend my money today? Like if that's just a small little step, you'll begin to walk by the spirit. And what happens is there's this transformation that begins to happen because you're operating out of his spirit that begins to give you not willpower, but a spiritual strength. That's what begins to happen. That's not mind over matter. That's not a, uh, a, a behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation that changes the way you think. That's why in Romans chapter 12, it says uh, 12, one and two, right? The offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And do not conform to the pattern of the world. Instead, be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your mind. That's like allowing the antivirus software to overwrite the bad code. That's what happens. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you spend time allowing his spirit to control you and to guide you, it begins to overwrite the old habits and changes. There is no chance that you're going to be able to do it on your own. You need Christ within you. I belong to Jesus. And so what happens is instead of the cycle of shame, 
we have a new cycle. I want you to follow this circle and look at the arrows, right? So because I depend on the spirit, that's how I do. I depend on the spirit. God, I don't want to do these things anymore. Help me to be the person that you want me to be. And I'm walking with him on a daily basis. I have found as I've struggled with pornography a lot in my life, and I will tell you that's another area of my life that I have that I have overcome. It doesn't mean that I don't still struggle. It doesn't mean that I don't still have desires that when I see like, you know, ladies walking down the street and they're wearing clothes that, that are attractive, that I have to still tell myself, like, don't dwell there. Like there is still a discipline that I have to do in my behaviors and my, and my actions. But I will tell you that I have learned to be able to, 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 to overcome that through the power of Christ within me. How? By this cycle. I depend on the spirit on a regular basis. I spend time in God's presence. I allow him to speak into my life as I go about my daily basis. Not when I'm in my, my, not when I'm in my, my prayer time. I'm taking the spirit with me when I'm doing regular stuff. So I'm just allowing that to commune, right? So because I depend on the spirit, it begins to build my faith. It builds my faith. I see God operating and I realize, oh my gosh, I have the ability to say no. I've said no enough times, not through my willpower, but because of God's spirit. The closer I am to Jesus, the more time I spend with him, the more time I have his spirit just kind of filling me and overflowing me and overwriting that negative spirit, sin, sinful code. What happens is, as I'm able to say no to those things and that builds my faith and I get excited because I've been able to overcome. And from that space, it then empowers right actions. I'm now able to say no to the Starbucks that I know I shouldn't shouldn't have today. We've begun saving in our family. We're not the best at it, but we're beginning to overwrite those patterns and those habits to where we have a savings account. Or when 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 large amounts of money come in, we instead of just going, oh man, let's go out and buy this thing, we start to pay off our debts. These things are happening because of the transformation that God is making in my heart and in my mind because I'm depending on his spirit. And as I depend on his spirit, I'm building my faith. And as my faith is built, it empowers me to make the right actions. And because of that, I'm closer to God. Because I'm closer, God, I want to be closer to him. I then depend on the spirit even more. Do you see? That's a totally different cycle because I belong to Jesus. It's not because I'm a bad person and that horrible cycle of shame and guilt that I can't get out of. I belong to Jesus. It's not shame driven. It's spirit led. I'm not trying to control my flesh because it's uncontrollable. I'm depending on the spirit of God because I belong to Jesus he is empowering me to become more like him. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ that lives within me is empowering me to be more like Christ. I'm not striving for a result. I'm living out of an identity, the identity that I have in Christ. And that identity creates actions and that action creates results. That's how it's happening. That's how it changes in my life. That's how it can change in your life. If you're stuck in the space of like, I just keep making the terrible decisions. I keep, it begins to wear on you and you begin to think that this is who I am. But scripture does not paint that picture. We have to learn to walk in the spirit. And so if I belong to Jesus, I don't try to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible. But then if I want to, I have to begin to make that a priority in my life so that I can be closer to Christ. The closer I am to him, the more I will walk according to his ways. I want to honor God. If I want to honor God, then I have to make decisions to, to go in that direction. That means, do I wake up early? Do I get on a diet plan? Do I take steps to figure out what it is that I can do to help me be healthy so that I can eat right, so that I can feel good? That all happens by starting with the concept of because I am who I am. And I will tell you this too, 
I've lost 40 pounds. How did I do that? It wasn't simply because I wanted to eat to lose weight. There was a transformation that happened in my heart after seeing my, my parents and seeing my dad. My dad is in his 60s and doesn't eat well. And now he's on diabetic pills. He has adult onset diabetes. My dad has taking insulin shots. He's doing all these things because he's he's not taking those steps, right? I've, I don't want that. But not just that, I want to be healthy when I'm 60. I also want to be the kind of person that that honors God in with my body. And so all of that combined has caused me to be motivated enough to say, God, I don't want, I have prayed many times. And this is me being honest with you guys. I have prayed, God, why is it that I can't seem to say no to food? And I realized that I had an addiction to food. I realized that I had an addiction to self-gratification and it was tied into my identity as a person. I started to think there's no way I can do this. I'm just such an addictive personality that I'm always going to be eating. And I would feel shame. I would go to football events and I would eat like helpings and helpings, multiple plates of snacks. And then I would go home at night and my stomach would be upset and I would feel so shameful and guilty that I couldn't control my own eating habits. And I started to pray, God, I don't want this. I know I'm dishonoring my body. I know that this is not what you have for me. Help me. And he began to slowly change my mindset to where I wanted to eat healthy. I wanted to eat better. Do I have it all figured out? Clearly not. But I'm, but I'm in that path to where I don't think, Lord willing, that I will ever be as heavy as I was before, because now I care so much about it. I'm constantly asking the Lord how I can do it to give me strength through that space. The same thing happens in your marriages or in your finances, wherever you are. It starts with, with the identity in Christ. God, this is not what you have for me. Help me to understand what you want for me. Help me to desire what you want for me and moving in that direction. It's all about our identity. I belong to Jesus. I am disciplined. Because I belong to Jesus, I'm a disciplined person. And that's where it needs to start with us. Christ's power in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm a faithful person. This is things we have to start telling to ourselves, start teaching ourselves, reminding ourselves the promises of God. I am an overcomer. That's what the Bible says. I'm an overcomer. Do you feel like an overcomer? Probably not, right? It's about our identity. Because I am in Christ, I am disciplined. Because of Jesus, I am a faithful person because Christ in me is stronger than the world that pushes on me, the sinful desires that are in me. None of us have the willpower. We don't have it inside of us. But there's a little secret. The spirit of God that lives within you is where self-control comes from. That's what we're talking about here, right? The self-control to say no. I want the thing, saying yes to the thing that I want most over what I want now. The self-control is the fruit of the spirit. Let's take a look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and we'll wrap up here. But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and everybody say it self-control, right? It's a fruit of the spirit. What does that mean? It means that if you're walking in the spirit, if the spirit is growing inside of you, the fruit of the spirit will grow and will hang off of the tree where you can grab it and take a bite of it. If you don't have self-control, if you don't have patience, if you don't have joy, peace, kindness, if these are not the things that are growing out of you as a follower of Christ, then you're not walking by the Spirit. You're not taking those successive steps, the perpeteo, the continual act. The Bible promises that if we are continually walking according to the Spirit, 
that one of those fruits, the outgrowth of that will be self-control. Now, some of us obviously struggle more than others with certain things. If you have an addictive personality, self-control is going to be a fruit that's probably one of the last to grow, right? Maybe joy is not a hard one for you. Maybe joy is like the early bloom, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Like if you take, like we're planting plants outside in our flower garden and some of them are already blooming and others are not going to bloom until the end of the summer, right? Like that's how, how things are. But I can promise you one thing. If we don't water it and we let the sun beat down on it every single day and I don't touch it, I don't prune it, I don't do anything, I'll take care of it throughout the winter, nothing's going to grow. We are responsible as children of God, as followers of Christ who have been set free, who are called no longer slaves of sin. We have been set free, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a new creation in him. The spirit of God causes us to be overcomers. We are victorious in Jesus, but he can't do the work for us. How many times have you ever heard the phrase, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? My mom would say this all the time, especially for me, the stubborn guy in the family, right? Like, and I have learned that to be true. Jesus will lead us to the spirit. He is literally laid it at our doorstep. If we are not willing to take the steps to walk by the spirit, we will not see joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'm not just talking, everybody can like do them because the spirit of God is what gives us life. Everybody can have self-control every once in a while and can say, ah, oh, no to that Starbucks or whatever. I'm talking about the ability to have self-control the supernaturally empowered self-control that goes beyond your willpower that in the moment you would normally fail now empowers you to succeed through Christ. That cannot be attained by self-help. It cannot be attained by any amount of habit, behavior, modification, or therapy. It comes through the spirit of God and our willingness to walk daily with him. So what do you want most? What do you want most? What do you want, like, the greater reward? What do you want beyond, like, the moment? And how can we get there? It's not about how, it's about who. Who gives it? Paul said, thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is your answer Jesus? Are you trying to do it under your own strength? Or are you saying, all right, I need to follow Christ. God's spirit is within you, and he will help you choose what you want most over what you want now. The Spirit of God will help you choose what you want most over what you want now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have given us your Spirit. If you had simply stayed on earth and not gone back to heaven, not ascended to heaven, we would be stuck here without the power that we actually need to live according to the way you've, given, you've called us to. We, had, we would have no ability to become like you. And yet now your spirit has been given to us. The spirit of Christ lives inside of us. We are your temple. I thank you for that. Would you help each one of us first to acknowledge this? To acknowledge, to say, I believe that is true. Without the spirit of God, I am doomed. I am not able to be like Christ. But then secondly, I'm, I pray that, our, that we would say, I belong to Jesus. We would reformat our identity. I belong to Jesus. And because of that, I will now walk by his spirit. Would you help us to do that? Help us to begin to think about what that means and to walk with you on a regular basis, perpeteo, a consistent habitual step, step by step by step by step. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.